All right, we're in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. This is lesson number six. My final lesson on how to understand the Bible. Brand new subject uh, that'll fit the times, I think, starting next Wednesday night through the Wednesdays in March. But this is lesson six, and it's called An Example of a Bible Study. An Example of a Bible Study. I'm not sure if this is the best uh, picture I can draw for you, but if you picture a big thousand-piece puzzle, um, and you're trying to put that thousand-piece puzzle together, and you don't know what the picture is, you don't have a box or nothing to work off of, and you, you, you start putting that together... Every Bible study you have is like putting a piece of that puzzle together, no matter what the subject is or the person is or whatever. And finally, when the whole puzzle's done, you see Christ. That's what the Bible's about, is Christ. He is the central figure of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so study, I mean, a lot of pieces don't seem to make sense But it has been my experience that some of the Bible studies I did 20 years ago all of a sudden are starting to make sense today uh, and how they fit in. And so as I give you an example of a Bible study tonight, just think of it as a piece of a puzzle that gives you understanding and you say, oh, that's where that goes, but you still don't know the whole thing. And you just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. And and, and finally, you just come, the Bible is about the Lord. That is the major theme with a whole thousands of other sub-themes. But um, I want to give you an example tonight of, of one uh, that uh, maybe you're familiar with, but at least to give you an idea, maybe a little bit more on how I do it. But there's no way in six lessons I or anybody else can teach you how to understand the Bible. You just got to get going for yourself. And always remember lesson number two. Lesson number two is the most important one, and that is to know the author. Uh, That was lesson number two. The author of the Bible is God. Uh, This is the word of God. And you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he can teach you. And if if my methods are like, "Ah, that won't work for me, I promise you the Holy Spirit can teach you so well that there's even a verse that says you don't need any other man to teach you what he can show you. But he's given us other men as a, as a, a blessing and a benefit, such as pastors, teachers, evangelists, missionaries, etc. So let's get into it here. How to understand the Bible. You're not going to understand it all at once. So pick a topic you would like to know about and understand. Find a way to apply it to your life and live out the truths in yourself. And so don't just study it so you get some head knowledge so you can win a fight with somebody, a theological fight. We don't need that. We got a lot of that in the body of Christ. It's sickening, really. People just want to fight over doctrine or fight over theology. No, no. Our verse tonight says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We want to study the main reason we want to study is, of course, for the approval of God. Now, I'll see if I can get to that at the end tonight uh, with a story. But also so we can be a workman for God. So when we're out there in the world and we're meeting the lost, we can know how to answer their questions, how to share the gospel, how to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Or while we're in the church and somebody needs counsel or advice, we can take them to the scriptures and say, this is what the Bible says about that particular uh, subject. So we want to be a workman. That should be the main goal, be the approval of God and to be used of God in his vineyard among the lost and among believers and that so we won't be ashamed. And I'm gonna, again, I'm going to try to illustrate that, that, that at the end tonight. So we won't be ashamed in rightly dividing the word of truth. Yes, we need to understand that the Bible is a dispensational book. And, um, you know, we're not under the law of Moses today. We're not in the apostolic age today. And if you, if you don't know that, you're going to get confused about some subjects uh, that you start reading about. Uh, like tongues and miracles and signs and wonders and those kind of apostolic gifts that were wonderful revelation gifts. And so we've got to understand this. So there will be more on understanding the Bible as we go into the future, Lord willing. Uh, but, you know, I think the two greatest goals of my life is, number one, I, I want to know the God of the Word. Uh, and then number two, I want to know the Word of God. Those are the two greatest goals that I've ever had in my life, and I hope they're yours too, that we know the, the, the God of the Word, and that we know the Word of God uh, in that order, and, and, uh, and they do work together. So, pick a topic. Now, topics could include subjects like prayer, faith, patience, love, people, major and minor characters. You could study the life of Christ, the life of Paul, the life of Abraham, etc. Doctrine. The doctrine of man, there's a fancy word for that, anthropology, angelology, soteriology is salvation, baptism, eschatology is prophecy. they got all these big names. Uh, theology, death, which is oranology, I'm sorry, uh, death, which is thanatology, heaven, which is oranology, hell, the Trinity, Christ, the Holy Spirit, any, any doctrine, uh, we want to encourage it, that that, that's kind of hard, it's kind of dry, it's kind of dusty, but boy, that stuff will give you a foundation. As I've said before, when inspiration and enthusiasm all wears off and you're not the brand new babe in Christ who's excited about everything and that stuff wears off, boy, doctrine. Doctrine will get you through the best and the worst of times. If you know what you believe and why you believe because you put the time into it. Uh, you will have an unshakable faith. Principles, honesty, integrity, prudence, marriage. I know we're doing that in Sunday school. Come out for Sunday school, family, roles, stewardship. We've got that coming up next month at Countryside. Pray for us. First time ever having a stewardship month, the month of March. Or you could choose a book. Choose any book of the Old Testament or New Testament and say, what's this about? What in the world's Obadiah about or Micah? What is Haggai about? And and you can uh, study a book or study a chapter. You want to study the abiding life? Go to John chapter 15. You want to study love? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You want to study fasting? Go to Isaiah 58. And, and there's chapters that have themes to them. And uh, you can uh, just choose a chapter <coughs> and go through that or a verse. A lot of verses have wonderful outlines and you can say, boy, I know what that verse means. I mean, this verse we just read tonight, 2 Timothy 2.15, there's a study in that. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can go a long ways with that verse. Long ways. 
And so, uh, now, I do want to say this, and I, I, I want to be clear, but um, we do have some, uh, as we saw a couple lessons ago, some shortcuts nowadays of people who've put in the work. Uh, 1880, uh, Frank Thompson uh, began his work called the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It was finally published about 30 years later, uh, where he cataloged about 4,000 uh, different. If you've never seen a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, of course, King James Version, because they got other versions now since he died, but he used the King James. Um, you, if you really are a serious Bible student and you get one of these and you start going in the back, you'll just say, wow. Wow, 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 wow. As he's got all these subjects and doctrines and principles and the books, every book is outlined uh, all the major characters of the Bible, men and women, are outlined, and and we've gone through that before. And uh, but I do want to just say this as an addendum: when I say something like Zondervan, and uh, I say this this Thompson Chain reference, Zondervan took it over from Kirkbride recently. That doesn't mean I'm promoting everything Zondervan publishes or sells. Please understand that, okay? I'm not promoting everything Kirkbride. Uh, publishes or sells. I'm not promoting everything CBD uh, sells. Uh, you know, I'm not promoting uh, any of these uh, companies, uh, Wycliffe or, or any of them, but uh, Scripture Truth. We have uh, bought a lot of Bibles from Scripture Truth, but a lot of them we would not buy. And they've just had the best prices, and we've always tried to find the best prices for people. Now, this Bible here, mine's cowhide leather, so it's about $120. You don't need that. You can get a soft leather or leatherette one. And I saw these today for $43.08 at Amazon. And um, they're just just tremendous, tremendous. I'm telling you, it's a shortcut. And again, you're not going to agree with every single uh, note. But the thing I like about this than other study Bibles is this is not a commentary. It's not Frank Thompson saying, this is what I think this verse says or this word should mean. No, it's just a chain reference of uh, 4,300 subjects. But it's advertised as having over 8,000 subjects. Okay, 8,000 subjects. And so, I mean, you can just, whatever the subject is or whoever the person is or whatever the doctrine is, you can go right to the back, find it in probably 10 seconds, and be on your way. Be on your way to learning about that particular subject. And, and each subject you learn is like putting a piece of that puzzle together. So I chose one that I, I was familiar with, and, and just, just so I can go through this kind of quickly here. I was familiar with this. I've done this study before. And I just kind of want to show you now by example how I think how I think when I'm studying something out. And one time I was reading through the Gospels and I kept seeing this word compassion associated with Jesus Christ. Compassion associated with Jesus Christ. And I saw seven examples where he either directly showed compassion or it was implied. And so I went through them, and amazingly, everyone was different. And of those seven, five times I saw the phrase moved with compassion. Didn't just say compassion. 
It says, Jesus was moved with compassion, which taught me that compassion is active. It's never dormant. Some things are dormant sometimes, like sympathy uh, or pity or empathy. You can have those, but they don't move you to do anything. Now, it's not wrong having those, at least if you have those, it tells us that your conscience is healthy. I mean, if someone dies and you have no sympathy, you have a problem. There's something wrong with your heart and your conscience. And you may have a seared conscience that's beyond feeling, and somebody gets up with an urgent prayer request, and you just say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And you don't, man, you've you got to examine your conscience. I have to examine my conscience. But if we do have things like sympathy and pity and empathy, that at least shows us our, our conscience is at least good. That's better than nothing. But compassion is so superior to all of that. So superior to all of that. It ends up in movement. Uh, to help uh, somebody. So the sample study I'm going to give you now is entitled Ways That Christ Showed Compassion Toward Others. And I am going to prepare this Bible study for myself and also in my case, because I've been a preacher and a teacher so long, how I would then present it to a class, a congregation, whatever I might be. In, in such a way that uh, it would be helpful and practical. I don't want to ever teach anything or preach anything that's not practical. Uh, even if it's a person, that we can take something practical from Abraham's faith and his friendship with God and those things. And uh, so that's, that's how I've always studied the Bible, from a practical point of view. I, I'm not one of those who studies the Bible just so I can win some theological argument with some other theologians. I'm just not going to live that way. Plus, I also like what Paul said about how we're supposed to give out the word with great plainness of speech. And I want to be so clear that I'm understood, or like Spurgeon said, I want to be so clear that it is impossible to be misunderstood. I don't know if I've ever uh, always achieved that or not, but uh, that certainly is a good goal for a housewife, a mother, a father trying to teach your kids devotions at home or in some ministry, big or small, to be so clear, so plain that they will know exactly what you said. Whether they agree with it or not, it's different. So here's how I would start. I would say there's a word called compassion I'm running into here. What does it mean? So number one, I'm going to define the word. I'm going to define the word compassion. Now, I gave you two ways to define words recently. One is with a dictionary. The older the dictionary, the better. Uh, I I would recommend an 1828 Noah Webster's Dictionary. You can still buy those. That's, as I said, 200 years closer to the King James Bible 400 years ago than the ones today. And the modern ones today are, are modern English. So if you come across a word in the Bible like terrible, and it says God is terrible, 
today's modern dictionary would say God is bad, no good, he's not. But back then, it came from the word terror, you find in the 1828, which means dreadful, frightful, awesome. Um, maybe a sports analogy, boy, he's a terror on the defense. Uh, that is a compliment uh, to a player, uh, whatever the sport he's playing. That's the word terrible. It means awesome, great, dreadful, frightful. Our God is wall. That's what it means. It's, it's almost flip meaning. So the older dictionary, I know there's older dictionaries than the uh, 1828 that are, are better. I wish I had access to them. I don't, but... I think there is X. Another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a uh, concordance, uh, perhaps like a Strong's concordance, Unger's, Young's concordance, and they will have uh, a definition of the word there. For instance, um, let's see, what did I find out here? If I got my notes. Yeah, here it is. I, I made a copy of this page from the 1828. I don't know if you can see the yellow or not, but all that's the definition of compassion. And so there's a lot to it, a lot more than we think. And just in general, it says, a suffering with another, painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortune of another, pity, commiseration. Compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. At least some portion of love generally attends the pain or regret or is excited uh, by it. Extreme distress of an enemy even changes enmity into at least temporary affection. Having a temporary uh, uh, disposition to pity Inclined to show mercy, merciful, having a heart that is tender and easily moved by the distresses, sufferings, wants, and infirmities of others. So he begins to get into the definition, the emotions of compassion, and then the action it produces. The Strong's Concordance put it this way, to be moved with sympathy and pity in one's bowels, to help another, to help another. So I've already learned something about the Bible. I've learned that the word compassion is is not something I have until I am moved to help somebody in uh, some situation. And um, it may be giving them a gift. It may be praying, interceding fervently for them, maybe fasting, going going without food or maybe visiting them if they're sick. And we're going to look at some examples of Christ where in every case that he had compassion, he did something. He did something. And so the Bible is starting to affect me by this study and it's starting to change me. That's when we can say we understand the Bible. When we know what it's saying to us and then it begins to change me so that uh, I, I try to help others, you try to help others and There's so many opportunities for that, and already this year I've had just so many opportunities to help somebody, uh, literally, uh, and show some compassion. So, 
The life of Christ is basically shown in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so I'm going to just stick to the four Gospels and look for the word compassion in conjunction with the life of Christ, where it specifically mentions this about Christ or is implied about Christ. And I find seven. How did I do that? With a concordance with a concordance where they are listed in order every single time the word is found. Somebody made up those concordances for us. Boy, oh boy, I'm thankful for Frank Thompson's 30 years project. He was so disappointed as a minister, a preacher, back in 1880 that there was no reference Bibles. He said, I'm going to make one. And so I'm glad he put 30 years. I'm glad Strong's or Young's or Cruden's, whoever. Can you imagine without computers listing every single time a word is mentioned in order? I was looking up the word here today. H-E-A-R. We're told to hear. And I looked up the word listen. The word listen is found one time in the Bible. 516 times is the word here, which means go far beyond listening to comprehending what the person is saying. 516 times. Can you imagine somebody in the old days having to go through 516 times and list them in order for us? We're blessed. Wow, and, and nowadays you can just go to, you don't even have to get the big, bulky Strong's Concordance out or Young's or Cruden's they're all big and bulky you don't even have to get that out Uh, you can just as I said get a computer online Bible program for your laptop I believe there's people around here that can put that on your laptop for free for free and uh, what a, a time saver that has been for me when they taught me how to do it. Mike brought me a computer, I think, 20 years ago. I still use that thing. It's the only thing I've ever used. It's never been on the Internet. Never had it. I just he put an online Bible. I still use that thing every day in my life. And uh, so <clears throat> here's what I found. Uh, number one, in Matthew chapter 9 is the very first mention And he says in uh, verses 36 through 38, and I'm going to go through these real fast. But uh, this is a very famous text. You know, every other missionary preaches on it when they come through. (laughs) I tell them don't. I've actually said that to missionaries. I said, now we've heard a lot of sermons on Matthew 9, 36 through 38. We've got that pretty well down at our church, and we're trying to support missionaries. If there's something else God has shown you, It would really help us, but anyway, I'm just kind of teasing him, but sometimes. Verse 36, but when he he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So, you know, the Bible defines terms. Now, we saw what the Noah's Webster said, and we saw what Strong said, but notice what the Bible says. He was moved with compassion. True compassion demands movement, demands that you do something. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd, and so what does he do? Number one, he prays. He prays for laborers. 
He prays for laborers. That is movement. That is action. From what I understand, there are three different words used for prayer in the Greek that are translated into our New Testament. This is the most intense type of praying there is of the three. Pray for laborers. Why? God answers that prayer. Anything according to his will, he hears us. And theres I don't know of any better way to show compassion than that we pray for laborers, pray for pastors, pray for teachers, pray that God will raise. You know, I, I'm praying right now for uh, God to give us a man or two uh, who's a Seneca, uh, who knows and loves the Lord and will minister on the reservation. Uh, we're supposed to pray uh, for laborers because often we see people, doesn't matter what ethnic group they belong to, sheep without a shepherd. And so that's movement, movement. Uh, Number two, healing the sick. And Matthew 14, 14 is the next. And I'm just going through a chain now. This is how I do Bible study. (coughs) I'm going through a chain now. Matthew 14 and verse 14 uh, tells us this about our Lord. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them. And he healed their sick. So number one, he prayed for labors. Number two, his compassion caused him to heal the sick. Chapter 15, verse number 32, I find the next mention. And Jesus called his disciples unto them and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days. And have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Notice the third way is he feeds the hungry. He feeds the hungry. And there's always hungry people on earth. There's hungry people around us. Literally, physically hungry people uh, around us. That's the third way. Number four is implied. It's in Matthew 18, 27. This is not specifically talking about Jesus. But in the context of the parable, you know this is the Lord. It says, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, again, I don't remember the amounts of money, but this servant owed a lot of money. And he was finished. He was going to prison for life because of what he owed. But he asked his Lord to have mercy on him. And he fell down and worshipped him and said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And the Lord just said, you know what, forget it. Let me just forgive you completely of all of your debt now that's the lord jesus the lord jesus has power on earth to forgive sins and that's what he did for you that's what he did for me he forgave us of all of our debts and he said listen let's say the accounts are settled you don't owe me anything you are forgiven and then of course the servant went on and grabbed his another guy by the throat who owed him just a few bucks And I forgot the amounts, but it's like staggering amounts where the one guy owed millions and the Lord said, forget it. And the other guy owed him like 40 bucks and he grabbed him and put him in prison and said, I'm not going to forgive you. And sometimes that's how we are. The Lord has forgiven us of so much. But boy, one person offends us one time and uh, we're going to hold that on him the rest of it. No, no. The Lord said, we need to forgive in verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every man, everyone his brother their trespasses. 
to even brothers, family, those in the body of Christ, yeah. And I believe that it is implied that this is talking about the Lord, that when he was moved with compassion, he just forgives you. I don't care who you are. When you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, he's moved with compassion. He saves your soul. He does a good job of it. He doesn't do 99% of it and tells you to do 1%. He does the whole thing and just says, forget it. It's washed away. It's cleansed. I will never bring it up again. And that's how you know you've forgiven somebody when you never bring it up again. Giving sight to the blind, Matthew chapter 20. And sometimes you'll find themes are unique to certain books. You're going to find that. It's kind of amazing. It's like all the stories about ladies in Luke. It's 24 stories about ladies in Luke, more than in any book of the Bible. I checked it out. And uh, sometimes there's themes. Well, compassion is mostly in the book of Matthew. It just, it just shows us Jesus right from the start of the gospel as being so compassionate. Notice chapter 20 and verse number 34. I'm studying the Bible. And it says, So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Notice everyone's different. Isn't that amazing? Giving sight to the blind. The next one is in Mark 6 and verse 34. And this one personally is... uh, Really, one of the theme verses of my life and ministry has been this. don't know whether I've done it very well or not. But it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He began to teach them many things. And, and uh, so I want you to notice a sixth way. Jesus showed compassion was by teaching many things. Boy, I wish I was there for that. Don't you? Don't you wish you were there to hear, what does that mean, many things? Boy, just, I don't know what he said. Practical things, maybe. But he's given us what we need to know. And uh, the last one is in Luke 7. And this is the story, we won't turn there, but this is the story where he raises the dead son of the widow of Nain. She's a widow. Her husband's already died. Now her only son has died. She's shot. Uh, in, in those Eastern days, culture days, she, that, that's it. Man, all, any hope of income is gone. She's finished. Husband's dead, son's dead. And it says Jesus was moved with compassion, and he stopped the funeral train, and he put his hand on the bier, and he told the boy to wake up and get out of the bier. He was in the casket. And he raised this boy from the dead by his compassion and returned him unto his mother. So I'm just saying, and that was it. That was seven ways. And seven's a perfect number. Sometimes people really get off on that. I don't, but it's just, I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but seven different ways and seven different stories Seven consecutive stories, Jesus shows compassion. He's moved, it it compelled him to action. Now then, in closing the Bible study, I then have to do this. 
review your observations and meditate on ways that you can show compassion to others like Christ did. And then now put it into action. That is when we can say, I have understood the Bible. Or I have understood something about the Bible. When we then put it into actions and we are doers of the word and not hearers only. So very quickly, let's go back through the seven. You say, well, I'm not Jesus. Okay, I can't do this stuff. Well, number one, can you pray for laborers? Can you pray for soul winners? Can you pray for more young men and young ladies to give their whole lives to working in God's vineyard someplace in a church plant, a mission field, a ministry inside of their church? Can you do that? Uh, Can you have a burden for the Senecas Uh, right in our backyard? And, and say, Lord, we, we need some of their own uh, who will go. And can you get some tears on that and say, Lord, please, you've got to give us one or two or ten men. You've got to. They can reach their own. Number two, healing the sick. I haven't been able to do that yet. But, but can you pray over somebody? Can you anoint them with oil? Can you visit their, their home? Nowadays, can you send them a text and say, I want you to know I'm praying for you fervently every day. Uh, Can you send them a note in the mail? Can you visit them in the hospital? Can you visit them in the nursing home? And uh, can you visit them in hospice? Uh, Or whatever. Yes, we can. And there are times where God, through our prayers, has brought healing to people. Number three, feeding the hungry. Um, can you buy somebody groceries? Can you help food banks? I know Pastor Seth does that ceaselessly. This is needed in our communities, especially in the last three or four years where inflation has skyrocketed. You wouldn't believe how much that means to some people that I know, that they can go to these food banks and get something some food. And uh, Jesus said, And as much as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Can you help a food bank? Can you, can you buy some groceries for somebody you know, or a single mother or somebody who's having a hard time? How about forgiving others who have hurt you? Number four, can you do that? If you will meditate on how much Christ has forgiven you and me, And we can get over that one thing that somebody did to us or said about us or said about our kids or our grandkids or offended us or hurt our little feelings. When we look at Jesus on Calvary just massacred and the first thing out of his mouth is, Father, forgive them. First thing he thought about. First thing he ever thought about, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. A lot of people that hurt you didn't know what they were doing either. And a lot of people that hurt me didn't know what they were doing. I could forgive them. How about giving sight to the blind? I haven't been able to do that yet. But you know, there's a lot of blindness that's not physical. Some people just don't know what they're doing. This, the lost, it says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel. 
of Christ should shine unto them. You can be a soul winner. You can give wisdom to a young married couple that just had their first baby. Uh, Or you can have a financial peace seminar or something like Mike does and help a lot of people. You know, money just doesn't come with instructions printed on it. And uh, you can give sight to the blind who say, I, I don't, we don't know what to do. We're messed up. We, we don't know how to get out of this. Teaching many things. And that's not just heavenly things, but earth, earthly things too, you know. Earthly things we can teach. The kid next door, his father's in jail. A couple of doors down from me, I was, I think I told you this. I don't know if I did or not, but he, I was checking the air pressure on my wife's cars and my car, and I had my compressor out there and the hoses and the gauges. And I said, come here, you know, Nico. Where, where I was talking to him, and I was showing him how to do it. I was letting him take the caps off and put the pressure gauge on there, hold it, read it. Okay, what does this say on the inside of the, the door jam here? How much pounds should be in each tire? And he'd read it, and I said, let's go back now, and let's put it in this tire and this tire and this tire. And we, we checked all the tires, and then he... Wanted to know what else he could do, and I got the wheat, you know, the leaf blower out, and he's blowing off my driveway. I'm teaching him how to do that kind of stuff, and he, we're just starting to bond. You can teach people many things, uh, and then raising the dead. The only way I know how to do that is by preaching the gospel. You hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins, and. I've done about 250 funerals. I've never gone back three days later and seen one rise from the dead. But I have been able to lead some people to Christ in my life uh, and, and see them, and, and you can too, and I can too. And so that's when we've understood the Bible. When we've put one word in order, we've learned what it means, we've learned how it's shown, and, and now I can take that and now I can use that um, in, in my life and I live it out and I'm a doer of the word. That's when you understand the Bible. Then you go on to the next topic, maybe prayer, maybe fasting. I can't tell you how many people say, you fast a lot, Pastor, don't you? I said, yeah, I, I guess, compared to some. And they, they wanted, do you know of any books? And I said, I don't know of one book written on fasting that's going around the body of Christ right now. Don't know one. Um, but you can study Isaiah 58, I tell them. The whole chapter's on it. Just pick it apart verse by verse. Learn how, what to do, what not to do, and what the promises are to those that fast. It's all in one chapter. You can do that and understand it and then start practicing it and be a doer of the word. I want to just close with a story. I know it's, we've been here a little bit. But uh, this thing about understanding the Bible... Um, some of you have heard this story ten times, and some of you have never heard this story before, but I'll never forget it, even though it was a long time ago. Um, 1977, I was stationed at uh, Camp Walker in Korea. And uh, when I arrived there, they gave me a manual that says soldier's manual for 
soldier stationed at Camp Walker. It was just a camp, 400 soldiers. It wasn't even a fort. It was just a little camp. So I did what probably most soldiers did, just threw it in the top of my dresser drawer and ignored it. And um, one day while I was over there, I was a PFC, that's E3, and I wanted to be E4, which is a spec four, and I had to go before a promotion board uh, to get specialist fourth class. So I went to my captain. His name was Captain Bruce. That was his last name. You wouldn't call him by his first name. And I, I said, I, I would like to uh, go before the promotion board and get E4 if I could. And he said, okay. He says, I'll set it up for you. And I said, thank you, sir. And uh, the day came when I had to sit in front of a whole bunch of brass. Brass are officers. They, they kind of make you sweat bullets. You're just an enlisted man, a PFC. You're just like a, you're like a nobody. And so there was a little chair in the middle of the room and then a whole bank of officers behind a desk with chairs. And I had to go, you, you actually learn how to sit at attention with your hands on your knees and you only moved your head towards the person that was addressing you. And uh, they, they, and, and my captain was the lowest ranked officer there. Uh, I think there was a couple majors, lieutenant colonels, maybe a full bird colonel there. It was like, wow. They all came, took time out to examine me at the promotion board to see if I would uh, pass. And they could give me E4. So I was there, and they explained to me how this was going to work and everything. They were going to all ask me questions, and then they were going to decide in private, and then they'll send me a letter on the results and so on. I said, great, yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, sirs. And the first question that I was asked was this. What is inside of the ball on top of the flagpole at Camp Walker? You know what I mean? You look at the top of a flagpole, there's a ball up there. <laughs> My mind went blank and pretty much just became scrambled eggs for the rest of the time. You know, I, did, I didn't know what to think about a question that stupid. And I thought, you know, th- these guys are just comedians they're just playing with me they're I got all these thoughts going through what would make them do something so cruel like this and how could they do that is this a big joke is that what the officers do is they get some private in front of them and make a big joke and then they're going to go off to the officers club later have drinks and let's talk about what we did to that guy today or something and but I noticed they weren't laughing they were just staring at me I finally collected myself enough to say, sirs, I don't know what's inside of the ball on the top of the flagpole of Camp Walker. And they just kind of looked at me and said, okay. And then the next one asked me a question I didn't know. And the next one asked me a question I didn't know, and I didn't know, and I'm just, just, I have tons of emotions going through my mind at the time and thinking, boy, this is one sick joke that officers would pull on a, a PFC. So finally it was over and I stood up at attention and my captain said to me, uh, Private First Class Cole, you're dismissed. I, I, he said, we're going to discuss this and we will send you a letter soon. 
on the results of this promotion board. And I said, okay. And I remember leaving just mad. I was, boy, I was angry. I was heated. I was so mad at them. And I remember saying, I don't care what they do. I said, I'm never going through that again, that, that, that humbling. And uh, I don't care. I'm just going to finish. I got another year and a half in the Army that I'm getting out. I don't care what they say. I'll just get out of PFC. Forget the promotion. I could care less. I was just mad. So I got a letter a few weeks later, official-looking letter from the government that said my, my uh, request uh, for promotion to Spec 4 has been denied. And they gave reasons why and so on and so forth. And I said, oh, tough. I'm not going to do that again. Forget it. Sometime later, I was in my dresser drawer, and I saw the manual, soldier's manual for Camp Walker. And I said, hmm. I opened it up. The first thing it said in the first paragraph in the handbook was this. Inside of the ball on the top of the flagpole at Camp Walker are two rounds of ammunition and three grains of wheat. The two rounds of ammunition represent protection. The three rounds of wheat, or three grains of wheat, represent provision. While you are here, we promise you protection and provision. That is our promise to you. Now, here are your duties. And then the rest of the book was a handbook on, on how I had to live. <laughs> how do you think I felt right about then? Ashamed. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Brethren, I love you, but every one of us is going to stand before the Lord someday, and we are going to get grilled. We are going to get grilled by this book. And that is going to be nothing compared to when you stand before the Lord and I stand before the Lord. Jesus said, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And I believe whether unsaved or saved, we're going to be responsible for what the word says. And everybody else today, if they want to, can be obsessed with sports, games, videos, endless television shows, uh, entertainment, whatever they want to waste their mind on. But I decided a long time ago, I'm going to learn this book. If no one else does, I'm going to say, what does this require of me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a citizen, as a neighbor? And, uh, and, and what does it say? And, and by God's grace, I'm going to try to live it. I'm going to try to live it. I went back to Pastor uh, Captain Bruce, and I said, sir, I, I want to apologize. I embarrassed you in front of all your peers 
your superiors, I embarrassed you, and I'm sorry. I wanted to apologize. And I said, and if you'll let me, I'd like one more chance at that promotion board. If you'll put one together, I won't embarrass you this time, sir. And he gave me a second chance, Captain Bruce. And I went before there and aced it and got a promotion to spec four very soon afterwards. And, uh, you know, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And John said in First John, some are going to be ashamed before him at his coming. Some are going to have boldness at his coming. I don't know what I'm going to have. But I hope I can boldly stand. Boldly does not mean brash or in your face. No, You've got to study that word. But I, I hope I can boldly stand before the Lord someday and say, Lord, I, I tried to study your word. I tried to live by it. And uh, because a promotion is at stake at the judgment seat, a promotion for all of eternity when the rewards are given out and the positions are given out for ruling and reigning with Christ. Go ahead, John. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand the value of your word. You've exalted and magnified your word above your name. Lord, I thank you for the Bible students we have in this church. Amen. Praise your holy name. And I pray for more. I pray for the young people to get started. And I know it's a hard book. I know there's easy things in it too. I know there's impossible things, secret things. But Lord, we can learn. And we could have a good promotion board someday. And Lord, you said to us, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. We could be workmen that need not to be ashamed. And so as we close this six lessons, I want to pray that we'd be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we'd get that space at home to study and get the Bible study aids that are available to us, that have never been available to so many believers who would love to own a Bible or a concordance or a dictionary and to whom much is given much will be required so affect us O lord we pray by these lessons for it's in jesus name i ask amen